Today's guest on Girls on Film is Tom Luce, best known for his work as executive producer of AMC's hugely successful series, The Walking Dead, with credits like Glory, Everwood, The Joneses, Blue River, Jeepers Creepers, Drumline, and Remember the Titans, Luce, who holds a position at Georgia State's University Creative Media Industries Institute, gives Girls on Film listeners a behind-the-scenes tour of America's favorite zombie series. everybody, this is Sarah Smith, and I am with my co-host, Teresa Roth. Hello, everybody. And we are Girls on Film, and we are um, here today for the first time at our amazing sponsor's location. This place is beautiful. We are um, at an amazing downtown luxury apartment complex. I don't know, how much are these places? More than we can afford. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so pricey. Oh, and it is beautiful. The The joint is called The Lily. And, um, you know, just so you can know a teeny tiny bit about it, they, um, they have electric car charging stations for people that have electric cars, which is very cool and very interesting. The place is modern. It's beautiful. What, what else, Port? Well, I think they actually go by The Lily Midtown. The Lily Midtown. Oh, Court is, he's the editorial expert. Exactly. They have beautiful uh, skyline views, panoramic windows, and, and a great location. A great, and press press box dry cleaning upon request. I'm sold. What is that? What, or I don't know. We'll have to look it up. But guys, check out their site, www.lilymidtown.com. And here we go. We have a great guest today, don't we, Teresa? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yep. Um, Mr. Tom Luce is here. He is the executive producer of The Walking Dead and has done so many other amazing projects that um, I, I know you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. Good morning, Tom. How good are morning. you? I am good. Thank excellent, you. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, how did you feel being stalked by Sarah on LinkedIn? Um, I was okay with it. I, <laughs> I, you know, this is a unique place we're in uh, doing this uh, podcast. I grew up in Atlanta and uh, lived actually a block or two from here, but it wasn't like this. It wasn't beautiful condos back then. It was very close to a homeless shelter and uh, very much a transitional neighborhood. It's amazing the, tra the transformation of Atlanta. Uh, from downtown where, I, where I'm at now with uh, Georgia State University. Right. Uh, I'm at their new uh, Creative Media Industry Institute. And uh, and Atlanta's been transformed in the last 20 years. I think Absolutely. ever since the Olympics. Um, and I was lucky enough to work on the Olympic film with Bud Greenspan in 1996. Ever since then, the town has really gone from being a linear city based on Peachtree Street to being much more diverse in terms of its geographical center. Right. And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a very dynamic uh, community, and certainly the film community here has grown exponentially in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. So it's been, it's been an exciting place to be. I'm a big fan of Ted Turner, and I would love to just see, ask you, what do you think about his influence on changing this city? You know, uh, Ted Turner... I think had a singular impact on Atlanta in so many ways in terms of the perspective of Atlanta uh, nationally. Uh, everyone knew TBS, everybody certainly knows CNN, and uh, he was a driving force on, of that. And then he brought in a huge number of very interesting people right. uh, to help him build yep. that empire. But more importantly, he recruited wonderful people here in Atlanta and gave them opportunities they didn't have. So people like Gayla Jameson, a great documentary filmmaker, uh, who I was uh, involved with in the early days of Image. She worked there, Larry Robertson, so many local people who were very talented in the, in the, in the independent film world got an opportunity to make a living, which is something that we all need to do yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, in independent film. Uh, and that was, a, that was an amazing opportunity. Things like Portrait of America, 
the series of documentaries that gave a lot of really high quality documentarians a chance to uh, to show off their skills and to show off this country. Uh, he was a interesting blend of um, uh, uh, many things: athlete, uh, patriot, um, intellectual. Um, just so many different things in Mr. Turner. Uh, we're lucky to have him be such a driving force uh, in the uh, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I love um, when I was uh, 13 years old. I got this Time magazine with his face on the cover, and I will. N- I still have that magazine, um, and I will never forget reading about him and him saying, "I don't need to broadcast from New York. I can do it anywhere." And I, that was just so was that, such a maverick thing to say. Was that the Captain Courageous cover? I don't, you know, it's, I think it, it was half the face was his world was the world, and mm. the other was his face. Mm. It was like a globe face combo. Very cool cover. That's so, great. Um, love, 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 Mr. Turner and what he's done here. But you were here when all of that happened because you grew up here. Have you mm. ever lived anywhere else? Um, my family. Um, and I uh, traveled the Midwest when I was young. My father okay. got transferred several times, and we landed in in Georgia when I was 15. Uh, and I went to Shambly High School, um, graduated from there in 1969. Go Shambly! And uh, moved out uh, and um, moved into Midtown Atlanta, not too far from here, on Juniper Street, and right. went to Georgia State University. And uh, did you walk? I actually drove my Volkswagen. <laughs> Here we go. I drove my Volkswagen. Atlanta was a much different uh, town. Absolutely. Then, and so I lived in an old Victorian home on Juniper Street that got burned. That was burned down, I think, professionally. Ooh. Um, uh, uh, not while I you lived, were there. Not while I was there. Good. Um, and, um, and what did you study while at Georgia State? My undergrad degree is in psychology, um, and I actually worked. Um, in that field, working with uh, special needs children uh, for several years. Wow. Um, and I was starting to work on my master's at Georgia State when I met a wonderful young professor, Kay Beck, um, who has been instrumental in building, has pretty much built the Georgia State film program and, and was instrumental in, in developing CMII. Um, and. And Kay said, I hear you like film. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm starting a film program. Why don't you take some classes? And I have some graduate, um, I have some graduate program uh, classes. Uh, she had two at that time. And uh, I started that uh, in, in the uh, late 70s. And I ended up doing my master's thesis as a film at Georgia State. And that turned out very well for me. It showed on PBS. It won some awards and I ended up getting an AFI director's internship out of it. So that was a really amazing experience. I know very yeah. few students that would, you know, would have that kind of experience of having to be able to uh, get them to do, you know, to allow me to do that. I think I was the first student at State to do a master's thesis as a film. and. And so that was really exciting, and That's I talked them cool. into also giving me a grant to help pay for it because right. I, wow. I had no money, um, and so it was a lot of fun uh, to to go there at that time. And I got to work with, uh, and I had a graduate internship with Gary Moss, a very prominent uh, documentarian who ran their educational media film department. I learned on high quality equipment uh, how to uh, how to do my craft, and um, I got to produce and direct and. Uh, help edit my own first movie. So you're shooting on film. We shot on everything. Was, everything was shot on film right. back then. The mm-hmm. only, if you want to, if you really want to look at something that looks pretty awful, but it's a lot of fun. In 1978, um, I produced a video of the B-52s and the brains in live at the Downtown Cafe, which is where the Highland Tap is now. B-52s. Um, and. We shot on half-inch black and white. Ooh. Uh, and it looks like it. It looks, it was reel-to-reel, and uh, it's very mucky and muddy, but it's, you know, it shows you that sometimes what you shoot on is not as important as what you're shooting. Right. And that 
very early. This is before the B-52s were were a national act. They were still a right. very much of a you know a Georgia and Athens yep. act. Um, and it was like a hundred kids, and they were very raw and much more uh, you know dynamic than I think any of their other videos. So it was a lot of fun to watch it, even though it's definitely. Uh, it's grainy and a little fuzzy because half inch black and white was very, very primitive. Can we find it anywhere? I think it's on YouTube. Okay. Awesome. I think it's got over a million hits on YouTube. We need so. to definitely look. Oh, for uh, sure. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Cool. 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 Um, so anyway, I had a great grad school experience at State. And uh, also I should mention the reason why Kay talked to me in the first place and the reason why I'm probably sitting here now was in the mid-70s, um, a friend of mine gave me her job at the Film Forum, a local movie uh, uh, theater in Ansley Mall. Gotcha. I uh, used to go to that. And um, and we showed art films. We showed, uh, you know, Bunuel and Bertolucci and Truffaut and Fellini. Um, and we would show old classics from Orson Welles. Yep. And... Mm-hmm. and it was really a great learning experience, yeah. but also the just the conversations of the people that came in there, all of whom were obsessed with film. Right. I mean, it gave me that passion, uh, a, rather a lot of an outlet for my passion for film, uh, and and that that's never left me. And that's due to George and his pioneering efforts to bring great movies to Georgia. Exactly. We um, have a, a question here about um, you, you as a unit production manager sure. um, on the film Glory. Now, what we want to tell people what a unit production manager does. Well, it was assistant, right? On Glory? On uh, Glory, first. indeed. I was a, what they called a unit manager at that time. Um, I think I can explain pretty well, um, first of all, how that happened. I was uh, a location manager on several films, and... Uh, Jack Cummings, the late great Jack Cummings, who is a uh, a line producer in his own right, um, recommended me to Peter Jan Brugge, um, who's become a lifelong friend. Uh, and Peter asked me to help him production manage the show. He was acting as line producer. It was a very complicated show with very little money uh, for what they were trying to do. And um, I had produced some TV commercials, and I had obviously location managed for several years. So I use those skills and he helped teach me how to do that job and what a unit production manager does basically is administer the film make sure that you have everything you need for uh for production so you have obviously it's a people business you have to make sure you have all the below the line crew you have to have all their deals done you have to have equipment you know grip equipment electric equipment camera equipment sound equipment transportation it's a it's um all those things uh, all those physical elements of right. of the show um, you are responsible for, and then you also have to make sure that um, each day that you get your work done. So you're working with the AD team to make sure the that... The AD team. Assistant directors. There we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. So the Directors Guild of America um, represents directors first and foremost. I've been a member for over 30 years. And and the, the, uh, they also represent unit production managers. First and second ADs, and then stage directors and that sort of thing. So, um, um, the the ADs are basically the on set. They run the set for the director. They make sure that the elements are all there, so that when you're when a, when a scene comes up and you need fifteen extras and and they all have to be propped a certain way and wardrobe a certain way in Civil War clothes. And and they have to all be eating in this scene. Yeah. They have to make sure that all those elements are right there on set at the right time with no delay. Because it film uh, production is basically getting 150 or 200 people to dance together at the same time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, amazing. And the ADs, hmm. the best ADs in the world. And we certainly had a great AD team with Skip Cosper uh, on Glory. Um to get all that to work, I have to make sure that they have everything at the beginning of the day, and then they have to make sure it's always ready on the set. And that's kind of how things work on on, on movies. So it's that dance of making sure 
that everything comes together at just the right time. That, is, that is so helpful. Well, that particular dance, Glory, it's one of the films that like have stuck with me forever. I still, you know, flash back to scenes. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it was a great cast. And Edswick mm-hmm. did a superior Definitely. job, I think. Edswick had just come off of uh, doing um, 30-something, okay. the TV show. Uh, and I loved that show. Was, <laughs> and he was terrific. And we were doing a scene in Savannah. And this show was mind-bogglingly hard, Glory, wasn't mm. And Ed was frustrated. It was raining and cold and difficult. And I, th- I think it was like January or February. It was just one of those horribly cold, wet uh, winter days and he's sitting there we're doing a scene about Frederick with Frederick Douglass uh, uh, and he's sitting there pounding his head into my chest okay as hard as he can going holding on to my shoulders and going I could be on my set shooting 30 something right now instead of sitting here in the <laughs> damn rain with you loose you know because there's nothing we could do I mean it was a scene where we it just started raining and right. it's just so frustrating there's that's one of the things about you know, filming anywhere is that you're wide open to the elements. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was one of the big changes, certainly, that happened that made Georgia, Georgia back in the uh, back in the mid '70s. It was the first state to be to have a film commission. Mm. And the reason in why, the country in the country. Wow. Uh, under Jimmy Carter, under Did President Jimmy that. Carter. And fun fact. Oh, I'm full of fun facts. <laughs> Good. Um, so. The ability to take a movie onto location um, became more and more possible based because of independent films that came around in the '60s, basically using lighter weight equipment, you know, uh, lighter weight cameras and lenses. Uh, where it, suddenly things were much more mobile compared to the giant Panavision studio cameras, the big booms they used to use mm-hmm. for the sound. Um, uh, you know, a Nagra three or a Nagra four, and a and an Airy BL camera, and suddenly you were, you could go out and shoot just about anywhere. And that freedom, um, you know, kind of reinvented the way movies look into a much more realistic look. Yeah, we got some noise here. It's okay. We have met, we are surrounded by many hospitals: Emory Hospital, Grady Grady Hospital. Yep, and you know. Cheers to the people that drive those ambulances. Go, 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 and be safe. So thank you for that. Um, I love that film, Glory, as Mm. Teresa does. Um, And when you were talking about Savannah, I was wondering, were you you guys shot at Fort Pulaski? We did. Correct. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that we have these amazing, amazing, um, you know, Civil War and Revolutionary... um, places and elements because they just see Atlanta which is kind of a new looks like a new city mm-hmm. you know it doesn't look like doesn't look like Boston downtown it looks like this apartment <laughs> we're sitting in right now at the Lily Midtown mm-hmm. which we the love the beautiful Lily the beautiful Lily we are uh, on on glory we end, ended up shooting um scenes at um the I can't remember his name. Jim, who was the principal character, true, uh, true to life character yeah. in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Okay, he, oh, we yeah. shot at his house on Monterey, Monterey Square on Glory. Beautiful, and, uh, and it was beautiful. That was really interesting because we bet. got to meet him and know him, and and I had to negotiate the deal with him with, uh, you know, for his location and to close down those streets around him, and it's very. Santa's a very colorful place full of very interesting people. Yes. And we had a fantastic time shooting there. That's we also great. got to shoot on Jekyll Island where we uh, built Fort Wagner, the big fort at the end of the show we yeah. actually built yeah. on the beach. Wow. And Is that where you shot that final fight scene? The big, where they come charging where down the beach. Where they come over the, the top. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Wow. That was, uh, that was on Jekyll Island. And <sighs> we shot that on the south end of the island. We the state was amazing. The Department of Natural Resources worked with us to build a boardwalk across the dunes. And it's and the restoration that Law Environmental and Georgia Company did afterwards won an award for environmental restoration. Um, but that boardwalk is still there. 
And that beach is now referred to by the locals as Glory Beach. <laughs> Perfect. It's so. great. Mr. Tom Luce uh, was also um, very instru- instrumental on Remember the Titans, Drumline, uh, the Joneses. But there's And there's one thing that, that caught my eye here, which might kind of lead us into um, The Walking Dead, was... Uh, Jeepers Creepers and Jeepers Creepers too, which I would just love to hear a little bit about. What do you think, Teresa? Yeah. Um, we shot uh, Jeepers Creepers, the first Jeepers Creepers in um, Central Florida. Uh, and it was a show that I came into um, that was struggling a bit. And so they asked me to come in and help produce it. It was produced by Francis Ford Coppola's company, American Zotrope. And um, so it was a great honor for me. I got to meet and hang out with Francis, who's one of those people, like, we talk about baseball players as five-tool players, uh, people that can kind of do everything. Right. Well, there's, I've been lucky enough to work with a couple of filmmakers that are kind of those kinds of people. You know, uh, Francis Coppola, certainly one of them. Frank Darabont, who was the original showrunner and, and directed the pilot for The Walking Dead, is another. Um, Francis, you know, is a great is is a great producer and his and his kind of outline of how to make the Jeepers Creepers gave the gave the cast and the director and us a great deal of freedom as long as we stayed within our box, which was the budget and everything else. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. and but he believed very much in giving artists freedom. But he was himself a brilliant producer, and when I got to talk to him, his breadth of knowledge about physical production was so detailed. He's so great with script, you know, having him go through the script and work with, uh, with the director and the writer on script issues, or the director-writer in this case. Um, so, you know, his ability to just obviously see things, um, uh, that was great. So to get to work with uh, him a little bit, he wasn't on set um, that much, but just to have that experience was, was amazing to me. It's one of the things I probably remember most about that experience. It was a great deal of night work. Mm. And shooting at night for five straight weeks Ugh. is a difficult thing. And, mm. uh, but it, I think that the look that we got for that show, and, and it became a sleeper hit. Yeah. And one of the things that really, I think, was interesting about the dynamics on that show, and, and rather than have, it had a couple in the show, but the couple wasn't a romantic couple. It was a brother and sister. And the bond between brother and sister, I think, is something that really worked on that show a great deal. Interesting. Uh, mm. So uh, I think that um, there's, you know, that's something that I think that people should remember that siblings make very compelling drama issues, you know, because they grew up with each other. So to, 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 lo- to, to, to lose that, to, it, it changes the dynamic from being a romantic thing and, you know, oh, we're going to be pulled apart much more into a familial thing, which sure. I think is very interesting. That uh, is. And then Jeepers Creepers uh, 2 we did in L.A. Um, it was a much different experience working with an L.A. crew. Um, there were a lot of reasons why we needed to do that that I'm not going to go into here. But um, that was a very difficult film, and it really twisted me many different ways because Francis's company, um, American Zotrope, um, the people that he had running that company that were in New York um, had left the company and he, he had very few people left in American Zotrope. So it was a much, without his kind of infrastructure of American Zotrope, we worked with another company, uh, uh, the creative team and I, and that made it much more difficult. And so that was, um, that was a great learning experience in many ways, but it wasn't the most pleasurable experience I've ever had. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm I'm pitch, I'm giving this over to you for a question because I've been hogging him. Oh well, it's so interesting. I, I love the fact that you started at Georgia State and now you come full circle back. Yeah, it's been um, one of the things that's been great is just being back in Georgia. Um, I we had moved away to Park City, Utah. I was producing a show out there called um, Everwood. Mm. Um, this was 15 years ago. Chris so. Pratt. And with Chris Pratt and Emily Van Camp and Treat Williams and a great group, great group. What a uh, cast! Uh, and um, I, I liked it very much out there. As far as the weather goes, I found that I, I like summers that are dry yeah. and slightly cool. I don't necessarily love the humidity mm. and the heat of Georgia. <laughs> oh, um, God. It was quite an adjustment coming back, but. Mm. 
I have family here, and I really have had a love affair with with Atlanta since I was in um, in grad school. Frankly, I my my graduate thesis was about Atlanta and about you know what kind of issues cities were having when they were getting bankrupted mm. um, back in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Um, so. Yeah, the experience of, of being back here, uh, I came back here to do the movie The Joneses. And after being away um, for probably eight or ten years, um, was fantastic. And then that led to another series, Past Life, and another movie, The Collection. And, and I was in L.A. interviewing for a, a movie when I got a call from Gail Ann Hurd's office. And I met with Gail Ann and... Uh, Denise Huth and Frank and the people at AMC ended up doing, starting on The Walking Dead, um, 10 years ago. So Wow. So you were there from the very beginning? I think, you know, um, Frank obviously was involved with, you know, with the writing of the project before me. And Gail had, um, the show had been originally with NBC and it was in turnaround. And, and then Gail uh, met with Frank and she really loved the material. And she asked Frank if she could try to make a deal and she ended up taking it to AMC and AMC uh, loved the material and took a chance on a zombie television show, which everybody thought was going to be the kiss of death. Anyone on our group who says to you, we knew this was going to be a big hit, is, is, is a liar. Right. <laughs> well, that, that is, I was so curious when thinking about The Walking Dead and you, you know, like in the back room at the very beginning, when did you guys realize, oh my gosh, this is a monster hit? I told this story recently where there was one day on, on the shooting of The Walking Dead. And I always get a little emotional when I tell this story, so forgive me. No um, worries. That we were shooting um, about a mile from here in the fairly popular district in downtown Atlanta, uh, which is the old downtown area. Yeah. And um, we had a scene where Rick rides his horse into town and then gets confronted. Um, and so in that scene, we had to literally take over downtown Atlanta, about eight blocks of downtown Atlanta. And our location manager, who's still our location manager, Mike Riley, um, and his team did this amazing job of getting the city to let us close down that area entirely, including turning off the streetlights, including turning off the traffic lights, including getting all the traffic held completely around us to go around us so we would have a clear... And then we're talking about Marietta Street, and right, we're talking right. about you know Broad Street, and these are um, very busy arteries and, in the city. And so they they said, okay, you can have it from midnight Friday night till five o'clock in the morning Monday morning. Gotcha. That's Ooh, the period wow. we got it. Wow. And so we, I thought you were going to say one day. Our yeah. art department. So it was two days, yeah. two shooting days. But Amazing. so at midnight on that Friday night. Our art department descended on downtown Atlanta. They had already had everything loaded and ready to go in trucks. And they put out, we had designed trash blankets, these special blankets of trash that we could literally roll out trash into the gutters. And it would look like trash had been there for a month. And we could literally put it down in 15 minutes. We brought in Amazing. burned out uh, buses and trucks. And we had a, a burned out helicopter we placed. We had um, literally had a, uh, you know, sandbags for weapons placements for the military and military vehicles and burned out and flipped over police cars and and we totally transformed that area and not only did they get the city to get that cooperation but they had worked with each and every owner of every building including the federal courthouse to basically turn off all their lights and to stay the hell away because when we started shooting we also ended up having 300 or so zombies wandering in the streets so <laughs> it was it was an amazing experience to see that horse come riding down that street mm-hmm. and to get all that work for those scenes accomplished in those two days and to get it all then turned back around and get us out of there so that the city could be back to work normally and that was um, the first season right that was the first episode yep and, I remember it and um, that sequence was I had several people and I certainly feel this way was the single greatest day of working on a movie that any of us had ever had. Wow. Because everything, Frank did a brilliant job with the directing. He came to me the night before and said, hey, Tom. I said, yeah. And he says, hey, could you, you think you could get me a golf cart? I said, 
Yeah, I think I can get you a golf cart. So I got him a golf cart. And he recently wanted a golf cart because he was going so fast to get everything done that he had a golf cart to move him quickly to keep up with. So he could get place for the, because the next time we're, the horse is riding in down one part and then he's riding down another part and then he's turning the corner and then he's going into this alley and suddenly out of the alley come 300 zombies charging after him and he ends up hiding under a tank with surrounded by zombies and right. the camera pulls up, you know, 15 stories. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that sequence was, was, you could tell that that sequence was going to be magnificent. Wow. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that the audience was going to grow the way they did, but I think the quality of that pilot stands up to this day as mm -hmm. one of the, I think, one of the great TV pilots. And Frank, Frank, the job Frank did on that sequence, I think, is is astonishing. Without and the a doubt. job that our whole, you know, the art department uh, and uh, uh, Greg Melton and his team, they were amazing. Mike Riley and his team were amazing. Our camera yeah. people. Andrew uh, were, were just amazing. Andy Lincoln, yeah. Andy Lincoln learned how to drive a horse the week before, I mean, or two weeks ago. He was he did a great job. Uh, Tommy Turby, who is our to this day our animal wrangler, um, he um, taught him how to ride a horse and doubled him in the scenes where he needed to gallop and fall off the horse. Um, our transportation people who did our picture cars, we had an actual tank that ran, brought in and set in the middle of that area. Um, all that stuff had to be so perfectly coordinated to get that all to work. Um, it was a great experience. And mm -hmm. based on that emotion and that excitement of doing that, I think it came off so well on screen yeah. that I think that helped very much build the excitement for The Walking Dead. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where we had, we really had no idea, but... But that was a lot of fun to do. Man. I actually have a quick question. So now you've moved up to producer, right? You were, oh, in that show, I was, yeah, I, had, I was the line producer on the show. Yeah. Line producer. Again, the term producer is thrown around a lot. And at different levels, it means different things. What does a line producer do? Okay, so the line producer, has, it can do different things on different shows. Okay, so um, I'll, I'm going to do a little quick kind of explanation about producers in general. And also about the difference between TV and film, because those are things that I think everybody should kind of try to understand um, a little bit to help explain. So um, on a movie, yep. a line producer works with the director and works with the AD team and works with the studio. And he's the line between all those things to make sure that the show has what it needs to have to make the show in terms of financial resources and everything else by negotiating all this out and doing a budget and all this, but also make sure the thing is going to be good and also help make decisions that are wise. So let me give you a, a perfect example. Let's say that there's a scene that calls for, um, let's say there's a scene that calls for a restaurant and the restaurants in your given on that day are really awful in the area you're in, but there's a great patio there, and you could go to the director and say, hey, could we dress this patio to be a restaurant and shoot this scene outside? It would really help our schedule, it would help do that, and I think it would also make the show good, and they'll, they'll go scout it and look at it, and the director says, no, I really think it's, I think this scene needs to be very intimate between these two people, and having it on a patio wouldn't work, or they'll say, this is great, I think this is actually better. Um, so. There's a lot of, for lack of a better way of saying it, horse trading that goes on on a movie. Right. And you're one of the key horse traders. Cool. Um, uh, so on, in television, you wouldn't have that conversation with the director. You would have it with the director to some extent, but the main person that is the showrunner who is now a writer on television. So when you see all those credits at the beginning of a television show and go, takes that many producers um, many of those producers are writers uh, and and that's because it never knew that it takes a huge writing staff to pull off a show like The Walking Dead right where you have 16 episodes of television um, and then to coordinate and the reason why the writer is so important uh, as a showrunner is they have to keep the arc of that character they have to keep the arc of that story in mind so if i went to them and said 
hey, let's shoot this on the patio. And they'd say, well, that's really, that's not going to work because later on we have to go back to this restaurant and it's a night scene and these things happen. And, and, you know, and so they know, they know the story on a level, uh, on a level of, at least they have a pretty good idea of what the story's going to do. It changes. They can mm-hmm. be very uh, shifting, but <laughs> but by and large, the writers have a very good idea of what is going to happen, so they can help you with that same decision in a way. So that's kind of one of the big differences between film and television is that you're dealing with you're doing an episode is one part of a larger story, right. and the writers and their and their team have to be the people that you know protect that bigger story at all times. Right. And, Uh, It's very interesting, the differences between them. Well, I just want to just take a brief moment here to say um, something to one of our advertisers. Did you just get off the phone with your sister? Yeah, how did you know? You're always laughing. She must be funny. Oh, she is. And she can really tell a good story. That's why I'm getting a StoryWorth subscription. StoryWorth? What is that? It's easy. You purchase a subscription for someone you love. Then each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. They simply reply to the email with their story. Are these stories private? Yes, and only shared with the family you choose. Then, after a year, the stories are bound in a keepsake book. That sounds great. I can learn about my relatives and preserve memories to pass on to my kids and their families. Yeah, I'm going to do a special book for Mother's Day. My sister tells this great story about my brother narrating our home movies. It's hilarious. I can't wait to send these stories out to my siblings who are spread all over the country. These books will be so insightful. I read that they ask you questions like, what is one of the best photographs you've ever taken? Or what's your favorite way to spend a Saturday? I'm sold. I'm going to StoryWorth.com today. For $20 off, go to StoryWorth.com slash Girls on Film. And at the end of the year, I'll have a beautiful hardcover book and get to know my loved ones in a whole new way. Go to storyworth.com slash girls on film and get $20 off your amazing subscription. Hey everybody, we are back. And I really want to um, ask Ms. Roth uh, to to throw some questions at um, our amazing guest Tom Luce, uh, executive producer on The Walking Dead and many other amazing amazing productions, because um, Teresa is very knowledgeable <laughs> and she needs to take the helm I'm, here. I'm just a fan, and I'm so happy that you're here, Tom. And I do have Thank a you. question. You know, when we're talking about shooting in humidity in our lovely Georgia. What are some of the, you know, scenes that you can think of that was particularly difficult to get through? Um, During the first season, we shot on the roof of the old Southern Railroad building Mm -hmm. uh, off of uh, Spring Street in Atlanta. And uh, Michael Rooker was in those scenes. He he played the character Merle. And, um, and... We went up on top of this roof, and it was a, I think, July day, a June or July day. And I will not say which actor it was, but one of the actors came over to me and said, Tom, Tom, we have to, we have to stop shooting. And I said, why? And they said, well, I just saw a thermometer, and it said it was 150 to 3 degrees up here. Oh. And I went, well, that's a bit warm. Show me. And I went over, and I looked at the thermometer, and... I said, well, let's take it off of the air conditioner unit that you have it on, because that's basically an easy-bake oven. <laughs> right. And, and put it over here. But it was over, it was almost 100 degrees that day. And it was so humid, and it was so difficult um, to be up there that we actually brought in those those uh, misters that you, you see on football fields. Right, right. Yeah. The, the players cool, so our people coming up and down, we... Uh, but the whole scene was on the roof, and you'll see shots of Andy Lincoln, for example, and you'll see that little bead of water on the end of his nose when he's. That's real, right? That stuff. Right. Is, oh, that yeah. was all real. It was so. Is that bloody. when Rooker was like handcuffed to the? That's when he's handcuffed to the Holy roof. Holy cow! I'll tell you a very funny story. So, 
we're, we are up there, and Michael uh, is a bit of a character. I, I love <laughs> Michael. He's, he's, he is great. So he's, you know, his scene is he's looking over the side, and he's got a gun. And, and so he's up there. When we first get there, he had props bring him a gun early on, and he's up there pretty much with only seven or eight people, and he's pointing his gun over the rail, looking down on Spring Street, going pow, pow, just pretending, you know. Well, directly across from the Uh-oh. Southern Railroad <laughs> building is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Oh, and nice. I see this crazy guy in a T-shirt holding a gun going pow, pow. And I got a call. You got a call. I got a call oh very God. quickly from our police coordinator who was having, as a unit was being prepared to go up and attack the building. Oh. Um, uh, and I went down and explained to them it was just an actor and it was just a scene. <laughs> and they said, what kind of show is that? And uh, that was the first season and no one had ever heard of The Walking right. Dead. And, it's a uh, zombie show. Uh, and they, uh, it worked out and they had a good laugh and we did. But it was just one of the things that happened, you know, um, when you uh, I love you that crazy story. stuff. That's a great story. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a really good mm-hmm. one. Well, um, I know that the numbers are down just a little bit although walking dead is still the highest rated show on cable so you've got some new shows coming in so how does that all factor in um you know the way people look at television now is so different than the way they looked at television 10 years ago Mm -hmm. um very few people well say relatively few people watch a show when it comes on now um so when we look at numbers for our show, we look at the plus threes and the plus sevens and the overalls, and it's the the uh, it's just a fact of life that what we used to call water cooler shows, shows that people would talk about on Monday morning. Our show, luckily, is still one of those shows where we attract you know several million people to watch it when the first time we show it, um, and that still happens, but. The numbers overall are still very good for mm-hmm. our show, very healthy. And, and worldwide, the show remains incredibly strong. Um, for those that don't know, tell us what plus three and plus seven is. I'm sorry. So it's your basically it's three days after the show airs. So when you, let's say it's Sunday night, nine o'clock, you, you DVR that show and then you watch it on Tuesday. That would give you, that means that's, Two, two days later, you want, and somebody else watches on Wednesday, that's three days later. So on that Wednesday, how many people have watched that show? Um, uh, totally. And that includes, uh, and AMC may run the show a couple of times as well mm-hmm. beyond the nine o'clock hour. So all those things add up to be a plus three or a plus seven is, seven, is a week later, basically, the total number of viewers a week later. And, um, and there are many people for example, me, because of the hours we work on The Walking Dead is so crazy that I have other shows that I really love. Um, and I record them and watch them all at one time. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is a world that we live in. I, I like to watch shows when they first come out. Um, but I also, sometimes it's just not possible. So I will, I think that's true for a lot of us. How does someone who's so inundated in the process, and I struggle with it sometimes, when you watch a show, and you want to get carried away by the story arc, but do you sometimes find yourself carried away by production value and how it's produced? If the show is, here's my kind of my, my litmus test for that. If the show is really good, I get totally lost. I find myself, and I, I pride myself on being sensitive to things and being able to um, get into a story. So if the show's good or, or great, no problem. I will get lost in that story. If the show's not good, I really have a hard time not picking it apart for what's wrong with it and how we would do it differently and right. better and, and all those things. And uh, that's just human nature, I think. Uh, but it's hard with a bad show to be lost in it. But it's hard to be lost in a bad show if you're not in this business. And that's why bad shows don't do well. That's the truth. <laughs> that's the absolute truth. Well, you know, you've got... You know, you've got The Walking Dead. You've got Fear the Walking Dead. You've got The Talking Dead. And now we hear that there's a new show coming. That's right. Can you tell us anything about that one? Matt Negretti um, is uh, going to be the showrunner on a new Walking Dead series. Um, 
that is going to go into production this summer. Um, uh, Scott Gimple, who was the showrunner of The Walking Dead for seasons three through eight, uh, the end of three through eight, I think, no, I'm sorry, let me take that back. Scott Gimple, who was the showrunner for seasons four, part of season four through eight, um, is now over the Walking Dead universe. And he's, so Scott works with the showrunners for Fear the Walking Dead, works with the unbelievably talented Angela Kang for The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's going to work with Matt on his new series. And also, they are going to do a series of films, um, which may star some people that have left the show in, in a new and different way. So there's a, a lot going on in The Walking Dead universe, and I think that Scott is perfectly set to to help lead that uh, into the next decade of Walking Dead material, which is pretty astonishing. It is, definitely. Um, and Robert Kirkman, I should mention, this. our whole show is based on a, a brilliant graphic novel series by Robert Kirkman called The Walking Dead. Definitely. And Robert is determined to have a Walking Dead world go on for a long time. This is his dream. To, uh, and I could see him staying ahead of The Walking Dead as far as comic material for several years. It's not going to be like Game of Thrones where the show outstrips the books. Right, right. And I think that Robert will stay ahead of the show for uh, quite a while. That's such well, a good point. It's just an unparalleled success. And I've read that the movies are called the Andrew Lincoln movies. Um, you you could have read that. I <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, you know what uh, Mark? You know what Mark Twain said: "A lie will travel around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes." <laughs> so there's all sorts of rivers out there. Yes, um, uh, that may be a true river. Uh, well, whoever's in it, I'll be there paying my money to go see the movie. Yes, Believe absolutely. me, absolutely. So anyway, um, is there any more that you can tell us about the new series? I've also read, which who knows may not be true. That the new series is going to be with two young women. I have read that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am trying to, I guess I should, this is a great place for me to segue into something. Okay. Um, um, for, so for this season, season 10 of The Walking Dead, for the very first time, I will be stepping back. Um, I've been the executive producer, on the, one of the executive producers on the show for five, six years. And... This year, I'm going to be a consultant on The Walking Dead, and I'm not going to be involved in the day-to-day. That's why I can be here on a weekday talking to you all rather than pulling my hair out in Sonoma, Georgia, <laughs> trying to figure out how we're going to pull this particular thing off, um, which is, I have to say, an amazing experience. It's been great, but I've never dreamed of having a job for more than a year or two of my entire adult life. Oh, my God. I, one of the reasons I really like the film business is that it has a beginning, middle, and end, and you go on, and it's project-driven. And so for me to spend nine years on The Walking Dead, it, it was a great ride, and I love being on it every day, but there are other things. I have, I have scripts I'm developing that I have not even had a chance to work on until the last few weeks, and I'm so happy to be able to start doing that right. and to be able to Look at some of the things that you, that are going on today through Georgia State's uh, Creative Media Institute and some of the very interesting material that's being put together by a lot of people that uh, I'm interested in helping with. So um, I'm delighted to continue to cons- you know to consult with The Walking Dead, but there are other things to do and uh, and the team that they have down there they're amazing. Joe and Caprera, uh, Christian Asia. Caleb Wobble, the people that are the boots on the ground production people, they're astonishing. They'll be great. Hmm. So. Yeah. Well, tell us about your projects coming up with the Creative Media Institute. Um, the Creative Media Industries Institute, I should have worked that in. I <laughs> made that, made that uh, blunder. The CMII. Um, that's right. Well, let's just stick to that. That's easy. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, this is a relatively new, um, I can't, we can't quite call it a school, a discipline, uh, I think, probably a nice word to use. Um, recently, somebody explained to me that universities are kind of like, um, uh, like a, are like a, you have a series of silos, in it, in, and 
you have each one represents a department, and those departments don't really interact that much with each other. Well, CMII is different. CMI actually is interdepartmental. It, you can draw from the film department, from the music department, from the drama department, from the English department, from you know the history department. And depending on your needs, you can talk to those people. You're, and also you are dealing with uh, entrepreneurs and trying to develop students as entrepreneurs, but also working with entrepreneurs in a kind of a lab situation to incubate uh, new media material for uh, this area. So there's a lot of elements to CMII. Um, but one of the things that's very exciting is that it has things like, you know, it's very involved in gaming. It has a, a virtual reality stage that you can go and not only experience virtual reality and what it's like, but also design for it. Um, so, for example, if you wanted to, say, design this building and you wanted to show your investors the lobby of this building, you could do a graphic rendition of that lobby and they could literally put on um, glasses and walk through the lobby mm-hmm. of this building right. digitally. Right, a, a virtual reality. A virtual reality uh, set of things. So it's not, a, you know, there's there's medical applications for VR. That they're, they're, you know, There's all sorts of other, certainly in um, uh, in airlines, it's been, VR has been very important for a long time in training, mm-hmm. in training pilots. Right, um, right. Uh, so there's so many applications for for VR and for you know for Georgia State to have this uh, this facility to help work in that area to work in in motion capture in 3D. Um, uh, Georgia State has one of the very few um, uh, studios that has volumetric motion capture capabilities, which means you can have a. We recently had a Jerry Rice, the great football player, come in. And you can capture him completely on a you know, green screen stage and then move him to other places. Um, so unlike uh, traditional MoCo, which is ping pong balls in the black suit and moving around, yeah. uh, this is actually, you're capturing them. You're capturing their facial expressions. You're capturing everything about them in completely a 3D environment. So you're getting all 360 degrees cool. of, wow. of them. And, and you can then move around them and do choose what you want to do and then also since it's all on green screen place them in different environments so cool. this is all possible at georgia state university is this just for the grad students no in fact uh not at all um uh, james martin is a brilliant young professor down there and he um he, he has a, a senior who's an assistant for him who's just brilliant w- working with him and so they're getting hands-on training working with basically professors of practice. Candy Alger ran Giant Studios. She's worked with all the major studios on, on, uh, on 3D elements for their shows and visual effects elements. And she's now a professor of practice at Georgia State. These are high quality people. So Strickler is doing a whole series on blockchain through CMI. Right, right. You know, and, yep, I was just thinking about cybersecurity. And, and so, and, and she's a visual artist in her own right. So the quality of, of these professors and the quality of what they're trying to get through to people and and being at the forefront of, yeah. of, of new media, that's the idea of CMII. And it's for me, who's come off a show for the last 10 years, shooting on 16 millimeter film. Uh, one inch. Or what was the really small one with the B-52? Oh, that was half inch black and white. Yeah. <laughs> no, but The Walking Dead shoots on 16 millimeter film. Wow. And um, so this is exciting to be, you know, seeing the other side of it, where technology is starting to take us. And and I certainly um, am excited about being able to play a small role with that and also to help a lot of these students who learn these things on a theoretical and on a practical level, to help them kind of bridge into the industry because this industry here uh, in Atlanta is really taking off. And, uh, oh, yeah. So there's lots of ways we can we can help um, build a more creative community here, and that's, that's one great. of my goals for the next couple of years. Well, it's just it's just such a pleasure to meet you. It is. I love hearing your stories. Thank you. So nice. Can I ask one more question? Why is the choice to shoot on sixteen? Um, well, that's a great question, and it's changed a little bit over time. We did a, recently did a test last year on whether we should continue shooting on film. Because 10 years ago, 
when we shot on film. It was a different world. The digital's done a better job of catching up. The Alexa was still in beta 10 years ago, the, the Aeroflex camera that is the majority of movies are shot on uh, digitally. <coughs> um, uh, but 16 millimeter, well, film in general takes light differently than digital does. Digital yeah. does things incredibly precisely. Um, Chris Nolan uh, gave a book to Jeffrey Immel. Jeffrey Immel is the president of Kodak, yep. and he, Jeffrey gave me a copy of it. It's just a little flip book. And on one side, it has digital representation, and it's four squares. And each square, each page is exactly the same on the flip books, and nothing changes. Yep. The other side of the flip book is film, and you flip through it, and it's constantly changing because the way the emulsion takes the light is different. It's not taking it on a one-to-one, either the switch is on or it's off. It's taking it on an analog way, so it, it smooths things out. It takes those jagged and t- precise edges and turns them into, into a very smooth look. So for the zombie makeup, the makeup looks more natural, smoother, and certainly in very bright sunlight, the quality of that makeup, with a lot of our shows shot daylight, because um, you don't want to be out in the zombie apocalypse at night if you can help it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, <laughs> That's good advice, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> it smooths the makeup out. It looks good. In fact, there were several actors um, when they first started making the change to digital that put in their contract that they will only be filmed, not they will not right. be shot on digital because, mm-hmm. frankly, they're actors of a certain age and film makes them look a little younger. Makes them look a little. Barbara younger. Walters has that in her contract. Oh my yeah. God. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say. I know several people that did. Well, it's kind of like uh, 50, 60 years ago, they'd shoot through like nylons or. Correct. <laughs> put Vaseline on the lens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the film takes the light a little better. The contrast ratio, I, th- I think, is superior. And that's uh, the difference between the whitest white and the blackest black. They say technically that, that digital is caught up now. But there's a difference between, cause, because film is analog, there's a difference between it being technically the same. And being artistically the same. Right. And I recently did a reading for, uh, a read-through of a, of a script that I've developed with several actors. And I was looking through the actors. I was obviously going to use some of the people that I've worked with on The Walking Dead. But I was looking at their reels to see the, some range of those actors for the roles I was looking for. And I looked at, they, they had all the shows that are shot in the Southeast were on these reels. And I'm looking at them, then our show would come on. And to see our show side by side with other movies and television projects that are shot in Atlanta, you could see the difference that film makes. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's a reason why, you know, Chris Nolan shoots on film. Yep. There's a reason why, uh, you know, uh, all of, uh, so many, you know, people still are loyal to film. Yeah. Uh, so it's that film quality. It is. It is. Right. My um my dad used to work for NFL films for Steve Sable. Yeah. And what's your dad's name? Jeff K. He was a voiceover. Okay. Uh, long form narrator. Those guys. The, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Say Do it. That I had on. I did the Olympic film in 1996 and okay. worked with several NFL film operators. Okay. And they are the greatest operators in the history of film. Those guys. How amazing. they were so amazing yep. to be able to run out of that field and with a yep. long lens, yep. hold a camera steady enough, and track a football in right. slow motion across the field. Right. Those people were artists. And people totally. should go back and look at those films and see. A documentary about them. And see how they did Let's it. Let's do it. Yeah, Let's do it. Great, great, uh, great, great operators. Great people all around on those mm-hmm. NFL films. My, um, my dad told me a story because you're talking about film and Steve Sable would not do anything on digital. He wouldn't let the crews do anything on digital. And he's passed away now, but I, and I think they do. They are on digital. Um, you're right. But um, one of the things that he would tell everybody was this, this, think of film as water and just let it keep running. Hmm. Like, don't turn the camera off. We don't care. Keep shooting, keep shooting, always be shooting, 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 shooting. So every cameraman has a guy with them that is carrying a box mm-hmm. of film. Yeah. <laughs> keep shooting, keep shooting. So that was really interesting about your description about the differences. Great question, Port. 
And Ms. Roth? I just, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, it's just been great. And I, I've loved talking to you. I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead. Can't wait to see what comes out of CMII. Right. So everybody out there, I know that you've enjoyed it. Let us know if you've enjoyed it. Tweet us, email us, because we are Girls on Film and we are out.